Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Collaborations Podcast, but not just Coffee and Collaborations Podcast, the fan club page, the fan club podcast. My name is Kimberly Winborn. For those of you who are joining for the first time, I am the founder of Coffee and Collaborations Media. My company, Kimberly Winborn LLC, houses so many different entities, but the focus is finance and communications. So I basically like to help entrepreneurs make money so they can then also be stewards of it because we all wanna leave a legacy, right? That we can be proud of. And so I like to help entrepreneurs do that and then also give back to the community. I love highlighting community organizations and the like. So I'm excited because we are still in Women's History Month. Uh, uh, uh. Women's History Month is obviously a dope month. I mean, I believe women's history, just like black history, should be celebrated each and every day because we have planted so many seeds across this nation, across this world, throughout time. And so I love celebrating women every day. I love celebrating my sisters every day. And so this has been a treat for me this month of March highlighting some of my favorite women, especially because many of them I have not had an opportunity to see in a long time or have on the show. And so this is gonna be good. Today, I have one of my favorite folks. We met so many years ago. I don't even know if she was doing, I don't think she was doing exactly everything that she's doing now. So absolutely an evolution. I know there was a foundation there, however, because I remember our conversations. She is a beautiful soul, a beautiful spirit. You're gonna love her. I cannot wait to introduce her to you. So look, take a minute, go ahead and share this broadcast. Go ahead and subscribe to this channel because we'll be bringing you some brilliant people that you want to meet. So stay plugged in every Monday, eight o'clock, and then you can replay it throughout the day. Do that right now, subscribe and share, because we want more people to meet Omasade Bernie Scott. And you can tell me if I said that wrong, but I know- you know me as Billy, so that I was know her. close. Yeah, I was about to say, I know her <laughs> because we go way back. So we I got to get, get this uh, this name right. So let's bring her on. Okay, tell me how to pronounce it. It's Omi Shade. Omi Shade. Oh, like the Yeah, singer. like the yes. singer. Yes. Hey, yes. Kimberly, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. Isn't she beautiful, you all? <laughs> oh my gosh, let's just take a minute. <laughs> and bask in her beauty. But now let's get started. I don't want to waste any time. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We were actually talking before we began mm -hmm. uh, the recording because it's just so much that she does that I'm interested in having the conversation about. As women, there's so many things that mm -hmm. we do and don't talk about. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're talking about the wrong things <laughs> when we need to be having these right conversations that really will help not only ourselves, but our generations. So I want you, Amashade, to tell us who you are and what your kind of uh, messaging is all about. Sure. So you and I met well over 20 years ago. That's right. Um, and actually, 
um, the work I was doing then I still do, but just in a different way. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing social justice work for about 25 years. Yeah. So since 1995 and, um, Hey y'all I'm Omi Shade. Mm -hmm. I, I live in Durham, which is, um, the occupied land of the Okanichi Sapona nation. Mm -hmm. So this is where I reside, but I always like to do a land acknowledgement of the indigenous people. So we know whose land is, has been stolen and um, that we are now the stewards of this land. And so it's important to acknowledge our indigenous brothers and sisters. I love that. Um, and I'm originally from New Bern, North Carolina. I'm, I am a multiple generation North Carolinian. My, fa my father and my mother's families, we can trace our descendants, um, trace our ancestors back seven generations on both Oh, that's so sides, nice. Which is really powerful and a, a gift to be able yeah. to do that, right? Um, I started working, like I said, in social justice about 25 years ago. And that's kind of run the gamut of leadership development, hmm. community economic development, racial justice, gender justice, um, education justice yeah. and then most recently in the last you know seven to ten years has been around reproductive justice i took a break from um social justice work at the end of 2018 mm -hmm. i took a sabbatical um in 2019 i really wanted to i was 52 when i took this sabbatical i wanted to be able to recalibrate i was feeling really tired and burned out and fatigued mm -hmm. from the work um, and wanted to figure out like, well, what's going to be my next phase of evolution in my fifties, yeah. um, that will support the, the liberation and, um, support of our, our people, of black people. Yeah. Um, so while I was on sabbatical, my oldest son who will be 29, um, this month encouraged me to make a, a creative sabbatical. He's like, you're such a creative person and you use a lot of your creativity to address social justice issues. Right. What, what would it look like if you were to take some time to do something creative that's around something that's really personal to you and important to you? Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's a really good question, Che. So I decided that I wanted to start having conversations with other black women about their experiences with menopause and aging, but not from, um, a medical or public health standpoint mm -hmm. from a cultural, societal, social justice standpoint. And yeah. so that's what I started teasing out the idea of launching a multimedia project. And it's, so the project is called the Black Girl's Guide yes. to Surviving Menopause. Mm -hmm. And it has three kind of element, core elements. We have a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, we also host intergenerational gatherings and we moved those online to virtual gatherings last year during the pandemic. So we'll likely do that again this year. And we also launched our first publication. It's a zine. It's called Messages from the Menopausal Multiverse. So <laughs> I love that. You know, you know, we're trying to trying to figure it out. But I, you know, I also have started to move back into social justice work as a consultant. I'm doing work around healing justice and, and climate and gender justice. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. Uh, you know, I feel like that's the lane that I see myself in um, that can support support movement spaces, organizations, activists, and organizers in really thinking about what does it look like for this to be a space that uh, people can bring their whole selves mm -hmm. and their whole selves are, are um, supported, they're healthy, um, they have access to resources, mental health support, infrastructure, so that way their 
held as an individual and the movement is stronger because um, it's, it's really challenging work to be out here doing critical work to change the material conditions of black people mm -hmm. and you be a black person and also feel really impacted by what you see because you're doing the work and so yeah. I'm really interested in being a part of that and healing justice is such a critical part of keeping this movement strong absolutely so you know we can all um be liberated for any of the conditions that hold us down yeah mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I think we're in a climate where people are actually becoming a bit more open to beginning their healing journey. I mm -hmm. believe that as time has gone on, all of the faux pas of our ancestors that were passed down to us where, you know, you don't go to counseling, you don't talk with anybody about certain things and all of that. I think some of those are being broken and people mm -hmm. are becoming more open to addressing some of the things. And one thing that you said that you really pinpoint is social justice when it comes to menopause. And mm -hmm. I think, so before I move forward, I think any man that hears menopause immediately like runs away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's mostly something that we just think about when it comes to the woman. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I like to I, I like to focus on is impact abroad. So how is this affecting the family? How is this affecting sure. the relationships? You know, all of those different things. Is that something that you are tapping into as you're really out here um, sharing this Black woman sur survival guide and tackling some of these issues? So I, I first want to, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. um, I first want to say that what we are trying to do with this project is to normalize menopause and aging. Mm -hmm. um, menopause is not an illness. You're not, you're not sick. You are going through a physical change and a physical transformation that oftentimes is accompanied with different, I don't like the word symptoms either, physical mm -hmm. manifestations. So people are familiar with hot flashes or insomnia or fatigue or weight gain and things like that. But what I really try to impress upon people, this is a transformation of you from one phase of life to the next. Right. So your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your partner or your husband or your lover, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your community is going to be transformed as well because you're changing. Right. So is this a whole person? Yes. Um, is this a whole person in relationship with someone else? Then that person should, I would hope, be concerned and be compassionate around the transformation that this person is experiencing. And not all of the transformations are challenging or hard or terrible either. And so the conversations that I've had on the podcast is to provide a real diverse um, view mm -hmm. of first person narratives of black women. So I identify as a woman, you identify as a woman, but not everybody who has a uterus or who's going through menopause or going through aging identifies as a woman. So I'm also very open in the way that I communicate with people and know that my liberation is tied to all black people, not just some black people, but mm -hmm. all black people. Mm -hmm. And so, so that means that there are some black people that I'm going to talk to who identify as queer, some black people I talk to who identify as non-binary. And I want all of those voices, all of those voices to be respected, 
mm-hmm. to be affirmed, um, to be listened to, because everybody has a story to tell. And, and when you bear witness to someone's story, there is a transformation that's available to you and the person, right? It could peak something inside of you that you've never thought about before. It could peak something inside of you that you now want to learn more about, mm-hmm. or it could, it could provide you a space for some deeper understanding or compassion. It also might encourage you to tell your story, encourage you to find your voice, encourage you to think about, you know, I haven't had this conversation with my kids mm-hmm. or my partner or my husband or myself for that matter. So why am I not becoming more curious and taking in consideration what I'm experiencing? And so when we have these, these conversations with folks, um, we talk about relationships, mm-hmm. we talk about pleasure, we talk about intimacy, we talk about vulnerability, creativity, we talk about rage, we talk mm-hmm. about grief, um, we talk about risk and risk-taking. We talk about forgiveness mm-hmm. and resilience. And so it's very easy to put our experiences as women in a box. Nice little neat box. For we sure. live in this space here. But that's not fair. Mm-hmm. That actually is a function of systemic oppression. Mm-hmm. You know, there are systems out here in the world that would say, you, because of the way you look, because of your gender, because of how you move in the world, you live in this box. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only place you can live. That's not true. Right. That's not true. Right. There's a spaciousness that we all should be able to move with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I believe that absolutely for us, as we get older, you know, there's no shelf life on becoming who you are. You don't hit a certain age and they're like, okay, then, well, good luck with that. We're going to put you over here and God bless you. I hope it works out for you. Like, that's not what we want to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think honestly, when you think about how life changes and so fast, like we were just talking about how it seems like 2019 was five, 10 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like days just go by so fast. We do have a responsibility because our youth are watching in a different way, in a different sort of lens than even mm-hmm. we were. Like, I think mm-hmm you know, the generations prior to mine, after mine, it's, it's a totally different dynamic of, of, of absorption of information Mm -hmm. as well as access to it. And, um, I get, so as I'm getting older, (laughs) as I'm getting older and things are happening with my body, my Mm -hmm. emotions, um, how I have to handle myself and adjust and transform you know, it, it's becoming clearer to me that there are things that there were gaps in communication mm. uh, that are hindering. And I, I don't, it's not a blame thing, but it's a, how can I accept some sort of accountability for the next generation for my daughter and her friends and, you know, that generation to be able to educate in a new way so that they don't go through the, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? Oh my gosh, I don't understand this. I never heard about this. You know, so right. let's address that with menopause. Only thing I knew was that I could potentially get hot flashes. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they talk a little bit about some of the intimacy stuff, but right. I will be honest. I think most, I don't know. I, I think most women that I've talked to, I know for myself thought it was more of an internal thing, mm. but realizing there's some, um, external intimacy things such as, um, 
don't want to get too deep, but like, you know, dryness and things like that, right, right. not just an internal thing that lubes right. and all that stuff is going to tackle. Right. And right. so just learning and understanding these things, vitamins and, you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff that you need to take to balance your body, mm-hmm. prebiotics and, you know, all of this new stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I didn't know any of this. Right. And, um, so can you address that? Like, is that more, cause I was watching, I was telling you, I was watching a, mo- a show called Bridgerton. And I remember mm-hmm. in a scene where the young lady, the main, you know, uh, Bridgerton daughter ma- that married, uh, was, she had just gotten married and she did not know how to make a baby because mm-hmm. she, and she was so angry with her mother because she felt like she put her, sent her out there as mm-hmm. a new wife without mm-hmm. this information. Mm-hmm. And so let's address that in today's times. How are you handling those conversations and are you having them with parents to help them with their look, with their youth? Oh yeah. Um, yes and yes. So everything is in a, in a context, mm-hmm. right? Everything is in a context. And so when we think about generations, Mm -hmm. the information that certain generations had available to them, when we think about the cultural norms of a generation, when we think about our evolution as a community, as a people, um, I I don't want us to divorce ourselves from that. So I had older parents. Um, My mother was born in 1930. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom passed away in 98. So I was 31 when my mom transitioned. My mother was a nurse. So my mother's approach to my reproductive health and my sex, my sexual experience or intimacy or anything like that was very much from a nurse, kind of nurse practitioner, public health. She wanted to make sure I knew what was happening with my body. Mm-hmm. And she also wanted me to be safe. You know, she mm-hmm. wanted to make sure I didn't get pregnant and that I didn't contract an STD or STI, right? Right. Um, She also wanted to make sure I wasn't um, sexually assaulted. So she was like, how do you, if you find yourself in a situation with someone who's pressing you to Mm -hmm. be intimate without consent, say no and stand by your no and be like, I mean this. Right. What the language that my mom did not have available to her in the 70s and 80s is the language I have now Mm -hmm. around sex positivity and moving from reproductive health to reproductive justice, Mm -hmm. right? So then the conversation continues to evolve because we continue to evolve and we we continue to not only think about the context inside of the family, the context inside the culture, but also the context inside this country. Mm-hmm. So much of what Black people have been taught, in particular Black women, have been taught about our bodies, have been taught about our sexuality, have been taught about pleasure, have been taught about our relationships and our roles, has yeah. been through the prism of white supremacy and patriarchy. And so we've been taught our name is wrong, but our name is not wrong. Mm-hmm. Your name's not wrong and my name's not wrong. Mm-hmm. And if we are able to then say, well, look, I have new information that helps me think about this thing differently. Yeah. It makes me think about myself differently and certainly think about the young people who are in my life, boys and girls differently. I have two sons. Mm-hmm. So the conversation that I have had with my sons, 29 and 12, because my mm-hmm. youngest will be 13, is absolutely from a different perspective around um, 
reproductive justice, around sex positivity. Taj and I, my youngest, we have had so many conversations about consent and what consent looks like. Consent for him and consent from whomever he might find himself attracted to when he decides he's attracted to somebody. Because I don't know when that's going to happen because he's 12. But the conversations that we've had, we've had a couple of, you know, the the perfunctory sex conversations, right? Mm -hmm. And um, because the first time he asked me, he knew he came out of my body. Right. But he was trying to figure out how he got there. Right, right, right. And so when he asked me that, I told him. Mm -hmm. And he said, why would you do that? (laughs) How old was he? He was eight. Eight, okay. He was eight. He said, why why would you and daddy do that? I said, because it feels good. It's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. We we really enjoy that with each Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't think I will enjoy that. I said, that remains to be seen. I said, but here's, here's the thing. There's a difference between what I'm telling you physiologically and there's something around consent and intimacy. And he really dug the conversation about consent and intimacy. I said, you and I experience intimacy all the time. Mm-hmm. He said, we do? I said, yes. I said, we enjoy each other's company. We are affectionate with each other. We talk to each other. We share secrets with each other. We eat food together. We snuggle. We watch movies. We play. I said, that's intimacy. And he was like, oh, I like intimacy. I don't know about the sex thing, but I I like intimacy. And then when we talked about consent, you know, he's a cute kid. And people sometimes would grab him and hug him Mm -hmm. or, you know, touch his hair. You know, want to, oh, look at you. You're so cute. I said, Taj. You should be able to say to people, if they say, can I have a hug? You should be able to say to people, I would prefer not to hug you. Can we do a handshake? Mm-hmm. Or I would prefer not to hug, but it's good to see you. Mm-hmm. I said, it's okay for you to say that. Right. Black children, consent is taken away from our kids so early. Mm-hmm. So early. We force our kids to be in relationship with people they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, give mm-hmm. so-and-so a hug. Mm-hmm. maybe they don't want to hug them that's not being disrespectful i'm not saying that the kid has to go mm, you know what right, i mean right i'm saying give your child the agency to be able to say to an elder in the respectful way i would prefer not to hug right now mm-hmm. but it's good to see you i hope right. you're well right teach them the tools because mm-hmm. that's their body right. right yeah that's their body it's his body so i feel like you know as we get new information around how we can move in the world to make sure one, from the the moment our children have consciousness that they are safe, that they're seen as a whole person. Mm -hmm. And as we navigate age, we continue to do that. I ought to be safe, you ought to be safe. The Mm -hmm. elders who are in our life, they deserve to be safe, right? And seen as a whole person. And intimacy is still available to you as an elder, right? So yeah. it's important. It's important. It's very, and I love a lot of what you just said. You know, Sophie, my daughter, she's your same age as your son. Mm-hmm. And I remember the questions and having to have the conversation. And the thing is, like I said, that mm-hmm. a whole accountability, remembering how I felt when I discovered or mm-hmm. didn't discover or, you know, and I think a lot in our culture, a lot of shame and trauma Uh, so many different things have happened. So there's a lot of shame and trauma, unfortunately, uh, Mm -hmm. religiosity, uh, deep, deep levels of guilt and all Mm -hmm. of that associated with intimacy Mm -hmm. and sex. And so Mm -hmm. when you talk about 
consent and us losing consent so early. And then you couple that with all of these other factors. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people are traumatized throughout so many years of life. And so having these sort of conversations, I love it. That's why I love it because I know that it needs to happen more. And where one thing looks like, it looks like talking about menopause and talking Mm -hmm. about Uh, social justice or just the various things that have these kind of stigmas or trails of expectation behind them it's like once you dive into it it's something totally else that 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 uh provides itself an opportunity for evolution Mm -hmm. in, in the mind of the the person who's open to hearing who's coachable who wants to learn so that's why I love I love communication because you just never know and look at look at how much power now he will have as a young black Mm -hmm. boy Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. powerful you know Mm -hmm. um I remember and this is totally kind of off subject but you we didn't really get apologized to as uh as kids like I I didn't really get apologized to now my mom today is different than she was then she mm-hmm. apologizes quickly. She has so many things that she says today. Like, I wish that I could go back and change, Ooh. right? But of course she can't, but she didn't apologize then. Mm-hmm. But that is something I remember. And mm-hmm. I apologize to my daughter. I even explained, mm-hmm. this is why I apologize and mm-hmm. let's talk about it. I want to know mm-hmm. how I made you feel. Mm-hmm. And all of these different things. It's not coddling her, it's giving no. her her voice. I told her, don't let anybody take your voice, even me. Not even me. And Not you are teaching me. your daughter what accountability looks like. That so the expectation important. is that I can be in right relationship with someone and mm-hmm. that we all can accept accountability from when we might have caused harm. Yeah. Listen, when my oldest started Howard, mm-hmm. he and I had a conversation and I apologized to him because I worked out all of my hard mothering edges on Che. Mm. caught the fury and Che caught hands uh-huh. mm-hmm. right like I was slick with my mouth mm-hmm. and I would spank him I would tear his tail up mm-hmm. and I said to him I say I regret some of the ways I spoke to you and I also regret that there were times that I didn't need to spank you to get my point across I was trying to control mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah because I felt like what's out here in the world is far worse than me and if I could fear you into being safe, then I would do that. And and fear should not be my motivation. Right. Right. It shouldn't be yours either. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, Ma, I'm all right. I said, I I (laughs) appreciate he said, I'm I'm he said, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's all right, mama. I said, I appreciate yes, it's me. He said, but I appreciate you saying that. Taj and I had these conversations where you know, Taj has not ever had a spanking. That means doesn't mean that Taj has not been held accountable or hasn't been punished when he's done something that he didn't have any business doing. Yeah. But my approach to him is very different mm-hmm. because I had to, I learned yeah. a different way. When you know better, you do better. Hope. Right. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. And so with Taj, you know, we've had, we've had many conversations about accountability, yeah. right? What's his accountability to himself? Mm-hmm. What's his accountability to me? And his dad and his mm-hmm. siblings was his accountability to this family. Yeah. Was his accountability to black people? Like we talk about, you know, we just banded out. I said, but the first person you got to be accountable to is the person who you're looking at in the mirror, little bro, little boy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I said, so if you look in the mirror and you feel like I have done the best I can possibly do, stand on it. Yeah. Be proud. Stand on it. Be proud. But if yeah. you feel like you've done something 
um, that has caused harm, whether it's intentional or unintentional, figure out how you can make it right. Yeah. And that's important. Know, accountability, that's the whole reason behind the shift. So it was Coffee mm-hmm. and Collaborations podcast where we talked a lot about collaboration and how that's a tool to help you grow your business exponentially, those sort of things. So I brought on people who had that sort of mindset, which mm-hmm. I think is still important. And that is the model for my company and mm-hmm. how I operate. But I, I began to really focus on this word accountability in my self-improvement workshops and personal development journey, this word accountability became something that I discovered as a coach and being coached that was significant to success. Mm-hmm. And so I was just figuring out, I took a hiatus from it. We were doing panel discussions and things like that, but I wasn't producing a weekly show. We have been going strong three years, seven o'clock every Monday, you know, and I was like, something is missing. Mm. And just one morning it came to me, Friends Accountability Network. Who do I want in my life that can help to keep me accountable and who is open because they want to grow and because Mm -hmm. they realize how significant that is that we can kind of reciprocate that. And so now we're creating a helping to create a culture of accountability, helping Mm -hmm. other people to grow and having these comps. So it's not just, oh, my friends, you know, and we're accountable, but it's a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And this conversation is helping to kind of (laughs) unfold the whole big picture. And I want to talk a little bit about all of the things that you do around social justice, right? This 25 year journey that you've been on and how significant that Mm -hmm. is you know people ask you i'm sure all the time how did you get started um what is it that made you realize that this was something that was significant to your life and your journey and then Mm -hmm. why are how are you able to have such a strong voice because Mm -hmm. of the fact that so many of us do stand behind Mm-hmm. Um, uh, others and the opinion of others, but you have such a strong voice. So I think this is like a mentorship moment for you to share some nuggets. <laughs> okay. That's a great question. I, um, I think that I've always had a disposition as a, a as a child mm-hmm. when I was in high school and college around fairness and justice. Mm-hmm. I might not have used that language. I definitely use fairness. If I felt like something wasn't fair, mm-hmm. I would speak to it. Right. Now, would I always have a fully formulated thought when I spoke to it? Not necessarily. Right. Um, but I would speak to it. That's not right. That's wrong. And, and also, if I saw someone being treated poorly or being mistreated, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, I would intercede. My, my mother used to say to me, listen, you have to pick and choose your battles. You cannot die on your sword every day. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Good advice. Good advice. She was trying to help me be more strategic and more tempered in my approach. Yeah. Um, I think the first time, I know the first time I ever organized something that I felt like was wrong was when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I was in my senior year in high school. I was a student body president and we had what I felt like was a pretty sexist dress code. Mm-hmm. Now I graduated from high school in 1985. This dress code is you couldn't wear shorts. Girls couldn't wear shorts. Boys mm-hmm. could wear shorts, but girls uh-huh. couldn't wear shorts. Because the thought was is that if girls wore shorts, it would elicit some kind of sexual response from the boys and the girls would be held responsible for that. Like, it's mm-hmm. your fault. And I was like, that's 
stupid. Right. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> I, 1985, Billy was like, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what? We should do something about that. So I got together with like seven of my best girlfriends. I said, we should wear shorts to school tomorrow all together. <laughs> and they were like, that's, let's do it. And I said, all right, let's figure this out. So we came up with a plan mm-hmm. and I was like, let your parents know mm-hmm. you're going to wear shorts to school tomorrow. Wear your best Bermuda shorts. I mean, come to school looking cute, come looking fly, right? Mm-hmm. And bring a change of clothes. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we're going to get pulled out of homeroom immediately. Right. Do they see you in shorts? They were like, get out my, get out my classroom. So, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. We all walked into our homerooms and immediately they were like to the office. We were mm-hmm. like, okay. I get to the office and the principal's like, why are you wearing shorts? I said, I believe that this policy is sexist. And mm-hmm. he was like, it was an older Southern white man. I used to stress him out. I know I, <laughs> I don't care. And he was like, okay. I said, I don't feel like it's fair that the boys can wear anything they want. They can wear tank tops. They can wear shorts. They can, wear, they can walk around without a shirt on and after school. Mm-hmm. But if I wear spaghetti strap or tank top or shorts, I get pulled to, out of the class and I might get suspended. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair. And he was like, I need you to change clothes because that's the school policy. I said, well, I think the policy is stupid. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, I'm going to call your mom. I said, okay. So he called my mom and he was like, Miss Bernie, do you know that Billy wore shorts to school today? And she said, yes, I do. And I agree with her. I think your policy is not fair. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh. <laughs> and he was distressed, distressed. He said, I'm going to put you on the phone with her. And I said, hi, mom. And she said, hi, honey. She said, you made your point. It was a principled point. You feel good about what you did? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, will you change your clothes? I said, I will change my clothes because you're asking me to, not because he's asking me to, because this <laughs> policy is still stupid and sexist. And mm-hmm. she said, duly noted, change your clothes, go to class. I, love I, was, it. I was 17. Yeah. So You know, after I graduated from high school and college, I actually thought I was going to be a college administrator. Mm -hmm. I worked worked in undergraduate admissions. I worked in the admissions office at Shaw. Mm -hmm. And then I was an assistant director of admissions at at UNC Chapel Hill, where I graduated from. But there was this brother who I had done a lot of community work with, Mm because I still stuff in the community. And he was like, yo, there's this job with this organization called Public Allies. Billy, this is you. I was like, what? He said, we working with young people. It's leadership development. We're helping them get placed in nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And they're learning about working in nonprofits. You get to do training. It's political education. I was like, okay. So I was 27, Mm -hmm. 27, 28. I applied and never went back to working in higher ed. This has been the place where I've been ever since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. So just always had an innate sort of boldness about speaking your voice or never losing your voice, making sure that you had a voice. And it sounds like your mom was, <laughs> you know, kind of a catalyst. <laughs> she she encouraged it. I mean, she, you know, yeah. my, my sister and I were super active yeah. in high school. We wore her out a bit. I do know that. I'm, mm-hmm. I do know we wore her out. <laughs> when, when my sister graduated from high school, the principal said, are there any more Bernie girls? 
and, and we and we said no lucky for you and he was like lord jesus i'm so glad y'all gone because you know my sister too we were both like yeah that is hilarious uh-huh very fiery 50 plus this is i mean looking at i'll be you, 54 april 18th looking at you is so hard to believe that you know <laughs> And I've known you all this time. And so right. still, even me, it's so hard to believe that your hair is beautiful. Oh, you are beautiful. You. And so, you know, when I think of women and just the power that we hold and how, in, how important it is for us as women, as Black women, as women in general, moms, mm-hmm. to take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, your beauty inside and out. Can you share with some of these women how do you take time for Omashade to be mm. able to go out and do all the things and be all the things that you are supposed to be and do? You know what? I have figured out that I don't need to be all the things. That's the, you know how on TikTok and Instagram, they're like life hack, right? Yeah. My, my life hack post 50 is that you do not have to be all the things. Do not. You yeah. don't. And I, I had to reconcile with myself that yeah. I had I, I had learned how to be busy all the time yeah to be doing 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 I did not have a strong practice of being mm-hmm. or a strong practice of rest yeah you know in my in my family and this might resonate with you I used to hear well you can rest when you're dead yeah. You ever heard? You ever heard that before? I have heard that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you I might also die sooner <laughs> say that. <laughs> so I I used to watch. You know, my mom worked hard her entire life. Yeah, her entire life. My aunts, my uncles, mm-hmm. my dad. Like everybody worked hard. I didn't see people engaging in deliberate rest mm-hmm. unless they were ill. Yeah. You know, like had a real bad cold or had the flu or was sick, like sick yeah. with some really debilitating disease. And then they were forced to rest because mm-hmm. they couldn't push their bodies. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having the energy to do the things that you want to manifest in the world. Mm-hmm. I think it's a powerful thing to be able to manifest what you want to do. Right. Absolutely. I also think it's critical that you figure out what a restorative rest practice looks like for you. Yeah. And yeah. that you you keep committing to it and you keep coming back to it. Um, and I know for me in doing social justice work and thinking about how I'm in this, this movement space, if I don't figure out what my relationship to rest is, I'm not going to get to liberation with everybody else. Yeah. I might not make it. Or if I make it, I might make it and be sick yeah. or unwell. And I don't want that for myself. And I don't want to model that for my children either. Yeah. So. I'm in constant com- communication or conversation with my really close circle of intimate friends around how we're taking better care of ourselves. Yeah. You know, the lessons that we learn from our mothers, mm-hmm. you know, um, I have friends now, I, I was one of the first in my friendship circle to lose both my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really hard thing for me to be in my thirties and have both my parents transition and for the longest time people didn't understand what that meant to me or how I experienced that and now as we've gotten older and they've had parents who are either older and aging or have made their transition it just brings a different perspective of your own mortality and being able to see your parents as people 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, that's mommy, that's daddy. You know what? Your mama was a whole person. Yeah. yeah. A whole person with layers and mm-hmm. complexity and they made choices. Some of them they might not have been happy about. Some yeah. of them they, they, they feel good about. They took mm-hmm. risks. I just feel like it's important for us to see our parents too as whole people. Yeah. And so I just been on this journey, Kimberly, of just trying to figure out like how to take better care of myself. My mental health is critical to me. I do tel- teletherapy. I've been doing teletherapy this entire time we've been in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I see my therapist every two weeks on Zoom. I'm like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. And my, my youngest is doing teletherapy too because he started having anxiety about not being able to go back to school and missing his friends mm-hmm. and being concerned about my health and his because his brother lives in Brooklyn now he's like is Chase safe yeah and then all of the stuff that was going on in the world right with yeah. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor he, he yeah. was like this is a lot to process yeah. and he was very clear he said I do not feel well he said I'm yeah. scared so I'm scared I said well you know what you always can talk to mommy and daddy, but we also going to make sure you have somebody you can talk to privately. Yeah, that's good. The conversation is just for y'all, unless you unearth something where it feels like you have an ideation and we need to know that you might want to hurt yourself. Yeah. But if it's not that, it's none of my business. Talk to your therapist. No, all of the things that you have said, a lot of the things that you've said, there's a lot of accountability around it. Even, mm-hmm. you know, the conversations and the time you have with your girlfriends, making sure you all are uh, put, getting in some self-care, the evolution to understanding what you need to do to rest and receive everything that you need to do to be refilled and all of that. That's and right. to be the best you that is present today. Mm-hmm. I, I love all of that. And, and one of the last things that I want to ask you, because you've already given us so many like bits of tips and things like that through life. If there are like just a couple of things that you would like to share around your work, and mm-hmm. for a woman or a man or whoever's listening mm-hmm. that you would like to share around your work. And if it happens to relate to accountability, that's awesome. But really, I just know you have so many, you have so many nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> so around the work that you do, and then while you're doing that, if there's something that you like to share mm-hmm. that's coming up, please feel free to do so. Sure. You know, honestly, Kimberly, I, I there's a, a Toni Morrison quote that I keep bringing up. Like she keeps, you know, her birthday was... February the 18th. What? So her, yeah. So her Aquarius self be like resurrecting herself and be like, got another message for you. <laughs> and one of my favorite Toni Morrison quotes is you are your best thing. Yes. Like you are your best thing. You are your best you. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I were going to stay on a message that I would just consistently say to somebody, you are your best you, you are your best thing. You know, people talk about the bag, got to secure the bag. You're the bag yes you are the bag secure you yeah take care of you love you heal you be nice to you be kinder to you yeah. be compassionate to you like legit you are your best thing mm-hmm. and so if you can figure out a way to center your health and your healing from a loving space from a compassionate mm-hmm. space from a kind space it bands out to everybody you're in relationship with yeah. Right. You see some people who move in the world. You're like, there is something about that person. Like the, yeah. the warmth that they, they put out, the light that they put out. There's something about that person. I would wager that person is doing so much work on themselves yeah. on a daily basis. Do they always get it right? I don't know. Not likely. I don't. Right. 
But every day I get to return to my commitment. Yeah. Oh, who you, who you want to be? Do you want to be healthy? Honey, how do you want to heal your trauma? Trauma that's yours from your own lived experience or trauma that you inherited from your family? How are you going to heal? Yeah. What, rich, what rituals are you going to do to heal? Yeah. What are, you, what are you going to gift yourself with in terms of support, mental health support, emotional support, spiritual support? What you going to do? Right. And so the conversations that we have on the podcast definitely so focus on that. It's like, I think we all are experts of our own lived experience and we have beautiful stories to tell. Yeah. Beautiful testimonies to offer people to, to give, you know, light to this world. So I would, that's what I would offer. Um, we are about to launch season three of the podcast. Um, March 24th will be our, our first episode of season three. We're doing a millennial takeover. So I have two, <laughs> two young sisters who I adore, mm-hmm. Aja Taylor and Cherizar Crippen, who I've done social justice work with, and they become like little sisters to me. Mm-hmm. I really love them. They're going to interview me and a sister who I consider a big sister, Makani Timba. Makani lives in Jackson, Mississippi. Makani's 60. She is an organizational strategist and does work with nonprofit social justice organizations. She's amazing. And I look up to her like a big sis. And Uh so they're going to interview us. So I know this is going to be fantastic. I can't, you know, they, they texted me the other day. It's like, we working on our questions. I was like, okay. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm excited at the same time. I said, you can ask anything you want. I don't know if I'm going to answer everything you ask. Yeah. And it's also how you ask it. They were like, we got you. We got you on me. We got you. I said, okay. <laughs> but I'm excited about this season. You know, we're um, going to have two black OBGYNs on the podcast right. this year. Um, I'm also going to have conversations with um, two people who experience menopause in their thirties because of different, two different medical conditions. And so yeah. what is it like for you to experience menopause when you're in your early thirties, because you've yeah. got, you've had ovarian failure or ovarian cancer, or you had to have a hysterectomy and mm-hmm. like, what's that experience like for you to be pushed into a transition that oftentimes doesn't happen until you're in your, your forties or your fifties. Yeah, And so I want to talk with folk about that. So I'm excited about this season. We're going to do another publication of the zine. This mm-hmm. year is going to be Messages from the Menopausal Multiverse, the Motherboard. And oh, we're going to talk about, that. we're going to be talking about mothering, how we mother, I get to mother ourselves mm-hmm. and mothering relationships we have in the community. So I love I'm, it. I'm glad you asked me to be a guest on this show with you and have this conversation with you, Kimberly. I have watched you over the years as we, you know, I met you, you were a young woman. You were just finishing college or you might've still been in college. I think I I just come out. Yeah. I just come out. Right. Mm -hmm. So think about that. You know, the, the transitions you've made from college student to professional to mother and we saw Ross too. So folk need to know. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I think I had just come out. I'm not sure. I may have still been in college. I think I maybe was still in college. I, I think, think you, I, were, you, you were getting ready to graduate. Yeah, I you think it was over a summer and uh-huh. I could come home or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so much time has passed. And, you know, I've, I've watched you too. And I, you are somebody who I have wanted to have a conversation with. I want to have more conversations. I think about the women 
who I want like on a platform where we really mm. talk about some of these things as we get older. And so I, you know, I'm going to have to plug people into your podcast for some of those because mm-hmm. you're already on it. And mm-hmm. then maybe we can bring you back for one of those coffee and collaborations panels where oh. we really truly focus on women's health, mental health. I would love that. All of the changes that we go through throughout mm-hmm. our journeys I, mm-hmm. instead of saying life i'll say throughout our journeys there you, know? you go mm-hmm. so i have loved having you here so guys just you'll see her information scrolling across so make sure to plug in to omashade omi aka back in the day i knew her as billy billy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so make sure to plug into the things that she has coming up. I'm excited for everything that she just mentioned. And this has been an absolutely amazing time with you. I understand the pivot for you was really mental health, Mm -hmm. really getting with yourself and continuing to move forward, adjusting as needed and staying Mm -hmm. foundationally planted. And whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like, it's your journey per day. Those Mm -hmm. Toni Morrison nuggets that you carry Mm -hmm. with you. So thank Mm -hmm. you for sharing all of that with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was so like, uh, uh, what's the word? Like giddy, giddy kind of, yeah. A kiki. It was kiki. Kiki. It was good. A kiki. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you guys have a great rest of your Monday. Thanks for tuning in to the fan club podcast, the ultimate fan club podcast, Friends Accountability Network. We'll see you next week with another beautiful woman as we continue to celebrate Women's History Month and the relaunch of the podcast. Have a blessed day. See you soon.